Good evening, folks. So my pattern usually is to just jump into the passage immediately. Um, I'm usually pretty standard. I just go through a biblical intro and work through the body of the text and come to a conclusion. Uh, I'd be remiss without making a few comments of the journey um, that took a little while. I guess a little while longer than we thought it would. I guess a lot longer than we thought it would. Uh, it is dangerous to talk a little bit off of your notes. I've always realized that over the years. So I'll try to be very careful and not put my foot in my mouth or take my shoe off and put it in there. Um, so uh, after 20 years up in Ohio, uh, pastoring up there, we thought, well, let's go down. I'm slowing down a little bit. My eyes haven't been as good as they used to be 20 years ago after a couple corneal surgeries. And I thought, I'm going to go down there and help Pastor Wood and Becky and just build you guys up and come down and encourage you. And it's funny how you have that attitude. It's usually the other way around. Everybody encourages the people that are trying to encourage them. So if I, I don't want to forget, thank you for all the encouragement that you folks have given to us the last number of months. Um, I have to tell you, I thought I knew building. I thought I knew how to build a house. I thought I knew how to go after it and sell and build. And I guess I did not know the South nearly that much. And maybe, <laughs> maybe I should have studied up a little bit. Or maybe the Lord's like, hey, this is what I have in store for you folks. So uh, it has been a long, uh, tiring, exhausting, up and down journey. All the feelings, all the emotions that you've been hearing from the preaching lately, it's been involved. Uh, there were times where uh, we had to uh, pack up everything and come down, and Jonathan and Caleb and everybody got uh, one of the buildings ready just to the day of getting down here with some of our uh, stuff and then uh, getting down here, the building went on and, and I'm expecting subcontractors to show up at 7.30 when they're supposed to show up and get moving for a good eight, 10 hour day. And there were days where nobody would show up and then there were like two or three days later when they were supposed to show up, they showed up two or three days later with four or five subcontractors at the same time bumping into each other. And uh, I would look at Jonathan, he would look at me, and he said, brother, this is down south. Uh, so, so, forgive me, I'm not trying to belittle any kind of construction down here, or subcontractors, or contractors. Just that we just haven't been used to everything going on down here. But, a lot of lessons that we have learned, lots of lessons we've learned. Um, and I will have to tell you, the passage that I am preaching tonight I didn't pick out for you. Well, actually, I have, but I didn't pick out for you. I picked out for myself because out of anything that I've studied through and walked through, I'm like, you desperately need this tonight, Brian. Desperately. Because in the midst of this small little journey compared to many of what you folks have been through, and this is minor compared to what some of you folks have been through, um, I will be honest, I have been tempted at times to have some wrong thinking, wrong thoughts in my mind. I know my wife has. Um, so this, I've walked through and walked through, what am I going to come with tonight? And I'm like, I need this. I don't know how much everybody else needs it, but I need this tonight. 
And usually, the beginning of a new year, I think I try to think of what would be a good challenge for folks for this new year. And I think probably all of us uh, would need this challenge tonight and throughout this new year because I think probably all of us, from time to time, life isn't just a bed of roses, is it? No way. All of us are tempted at times to think wrong. To not always think godly. I think it was a couple days ago, uh, Jonathan, Caleb, and I were out in the backyard. I mean, like, they, they, they make you plant a yard in the rainy season and throw seed and straw before they'll even let you in your house. And I'm like, really? Really? So we're out there, and I'm complaining, and I look at Jonathan after a couple hours, and I'm like, Jonathan, I don't even sound like a Christian today. I'm so fed up today. Uh, It's easy in a day's time, in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time, somewhere along the line, to think wrong, to think ungodly. And so tonight, I want to bring this passage to you. And the title is, How Do I Stop Thinking Wrong? And it's not always easy to do. Listen, seriously, I just like to get real and genuine with you folks any, any, anywhere I go. When life is going easy, the bank account's full, the cars are got a full tank of gas, kids are going great, grandkids are going great, the health is going good, everything is going well, usually it, you're not tempted to think it's that big of a deal to think wrong or difficult things are going on in your life. That's when it really gets challenging. Illness catastrophe, change of life in situations. Those are tougher times. So how do I stop thinking wrong? Uh, Pastor Carl read Luke 14, this parable. And it seems a little strange to read this passage, this parable, and then try to figure out what is he talking about? How do I not think wrong? Do you remember the passage he read? Anybody remember? What's the parable? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You were like, took the words right out of my mouth. You feel it, don't you? You, you, all, you all have experienced it before. I know you're right there with me. So that's what the passage is talking about. The context of the passage is a challenge to count the cost of if you will actually not building-wise materialistically, but if you'll pick up the cross and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Whoever of you is thinking about following me better sit down and you better weigh the cost. That's the big picture of the context. You do not just start building a tower without putting some thought into it, right? You don't just start, I, I mean, I put a lot of thought into this house. And it doesn't matter how much thought you put into something, sometimes they just take a side turn or they just come out differently. The point is you must think before building a tower. You must think before building a life. You've got to think. That's the whole process of walking through life. And it is ridiculous to start building a tower without not being able to complete it And it will bring a whole lot of ridicule in life 
not to think through the process. I'm going to build a house. Well, just throw it up and here's a check for whatever. No. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You figure it out. You go through the thinking, the thought process. You're trying to figure how much is this tower going to cost? Well, what is it going to cost to follow Jesus Christ? There is a cost involved, isn't there, folks? And what is that cost going to entitle? We see from this text that there is this, folks, this thinking process that should be going on in our life. There are thoughts that are continually bombarding every day, isn't there? Sometimes more, other times less, right? In the last couple months, oh my goodness, it's just that season, right? Lots of thoughts bombarding. Other times, not so many thoughts bombarding. Other times, life is very busy, hectic, lots of responsibilities, a lot of things going on. Other times, not so much. But there are always thoughts going on. And certainly there is this challenge, folks, to think through or to count the cost of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Anybody here today that truly, genuinely, I'm not talking about just making a profession, but if you are genuinely a believer here tonight, faith in Christ alone, by God's grace, you had to count the cost at some time, didn't you? You had to count the cost. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I counted the cost of following Christ. I mean, just almost about like I counted the cost of building this house. It was that uh, detailed in my life, that uh, uh, that much activity of, do I really want to follow Christ and everything that's going to go along with this? I, I thought, thought, I thought, I thought, I walked through scriptures, I went through the whole process. And then after salvation, after the fact of salvation, the thinking process will continue to go forward. So you used to be an unbeliever with thoughts, right? You used to be an unbeliever of thoughts. Now, for the most part, most of us are believers with thoughts, right? We're thinking. Right now you guys have thoughts. You might be thinking, this guy's crazy up here. I'm not used to his preaching style. Or you might be thinking, man, I like him. He's keeping my attention tonight. I don't know what you're thinking, but you're thinking something. We used to be un- an unbeliever thinking thoughts. Now most of us are believers and we're thinking thoughts tonight. Question. Positionally, in that moment in time that you trusted in Jesus Christ, you went instantly from being an old creature in sin to a new creature in Christ's righteousness. You went from darkness to light. You went from Satan's camp to Christ's camp. But, here's the question, did your thinking process completely change practically? Positionally, at that moment of salvation, when you come to Christ, all of a sudden, did your thinking process just drastically? No. Practically, it it, it baby steps, step by step by step. Now that you've become a believer in Christ, and many of you, you could have been a believer for five years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, but now that you've become a believer in Christ, you no longer have to worry about your thoughts or work on your thinking process, right? Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. A whole bunch of laughs and like, are you crazy? I have to work on my thinking process all the time. 
I'm thinking with my wife, she's staring at me with a smile. I'm thinking, what is she thinking? I don't know by now. Boy, I'm looking at my wife and she's got a frown and I'm thinking, why is she frowning? There's a thinking process going on, right? It doesn't ever stop. We go from an unbeliever from this thinking process, we step into life with Jesus Christ with this thinking process. It's just a continual engine going on in our life. I would argue with you tonight, not in a bad way, but I would argue with you tonight that once you come to Christ, the battle of your thinking, the war on your thoughts has just begun, folks. And it just gets intense through the entire journey. Doesn't it? Some of you folks are a little bit older than I am. But has it eased up? The, the thinking process, has it stopped? It just keeps on going, doesn't it? You still have to think. You have to, you have to make decisions. You see, before Christ, your thinking was sinful, wasn't it? Would you all agree with me tonight? Before Jesus Christ came into your life, your thinking process was sinful. Yes? Yes. You never thought right. You never had God glorifying thoughts, folks. I'm sorry about it, but you just never did. You never used your thinking process to do right according to God's word. Maybe you were a pretty good moral person. But according to God's word, you never used your thinking process to glorify him. Your thoughts, let me just say it plain and simple, were hellish. It was immoral. Your thoughts were depraved. Your thoughts were tantalizingly sinful, folks, before Jesus Christ came into your life. Now that you have repented from your sin and trusted in Jesus, the whole turnaround process, the retraining program has started and it hasn't stopped. And it doesn't stop until you and I take our last breath and the next breath we breathe, we're before Jesus Christ or it comes back for the church in the clouds and we meet him. It doesn't stop until then. You could be 20, 30, 40 years into your Christian pilgrimage and still battle greatly with the continued progressive area of what thought am I thinking? And I don't want to see a raise of hands tonight or anything like that, but does anybody in this room ever battle with your thought life? I'll show you my hand. I battle with it. Boy, I battled with it the last couple of months. You ask Jonathan, he'll tell you. One day he shows up and he's got this big old smile. The next day he shows up and he's got a list of ten things and he's like, get these done. we got to get in this house. It's, uh, you battle with your thinking process. You really do. Listen, folks, listen. Paul would have never had to discuss this peace stuff that we talk about in our thinking, in Philippians chapter 4, you all probably know that passage very well. If the moment we became a believer, we always thought right. Forget Philippians 4. Forget think right. You don't need to worry about that. Now you're a believer. He would have never had that in the Bible in Philippians 4 if you and I didn't have a problem with our thinking. He would have never had to teach us to follow him in the right pattern of thinking. What? True, honest, just, pure, lovely, things of good report. Virtuous things. He would have never stated that if he said, hey, you're saved, you're in Christ now, you're always going to think right. You're never going to battle with wrong thinking. I just want to be really practical with you tonight. I'm really preaching from my own heart because my own heart struggles with this. 
Think on these things, Christians, and stop thinking on these things, which is what Paul is basically saying. Okay, great, Paul. Glad you said that. Glad I got it down now. Tomorrow's a new day. And then I'm thinking like Romans 7, as Pastor Carl is talking about that today. I'm there. I am in Romans 7, living it out. Battling, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ that he has had mercy and grace in my life. So I want to preach to you tonight, lengthy uh, opener, but I want to preach to you tonight on how do I stop thinking wrong. I'm not going to get through it all tonight, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a bridge to think about tonight in this passage. And life, I don't even know where certain areas, clothing, socks, shirts, I don't even know where all of our stuff is. It's all over the place. We're getting stuff over to the house now, but there's stuff in Brother Jim and Terry's house. There's there's stuff in... uh, did you eat all the meat up yet? Uh, no. Yeah. Danny's shaking his head. Yes, Sarah's saying no. Our freezer's over there. Uh, we got stuff all over the place. Maybe we'll forget it. and you could, If we do, you can just have it, um, except for that freezer of meat over there. But uh, PowerPoint's out the window tonight. Um, just barely able to be ready for this. But I'm so thankful to thank you for the opportunity to preach tonight. Um, if you were writing down anything tonight, here would be the big point tonight. Uh, there would be two, but I'm just going to cover one. Here would be the big point tonight. As believers, we are to properly discard those thoughts that are ungodly. As believers, we are properly we are to properly discard those thoughts that are ungodly, and that's not an easy task, folks. Our ever-present challenge in our Christian walk is to think like God. Thinks. I know that, and you know that, don't we? Think like God thinks. And not to continue that old pattern of thinking ungodly. That's our challenge. That's my challenge tonight, tomorrow, and this week. Ungodly thinking is a thing of the past when we were without Jesus Christ. Those are easy words to say. It really is. Like, great, thanks a lot. Now, how do we go about this? Well, I'm going to have to tear this down a little bit before I ever be able to build it up, okay? So let me tear it down a little bit, okay? As believers, we are to properly discard those thoughts that are ungodly. Let me give you a couple areas thinking about this. Ungodly thoughts come from the heart. And I was thinking this morning, I was thinking, plug this little thumb thing in and I ran this off and I was thinking, Pastor Carl either looked at my notes or I looked at his notes or something, but their heart was all over the message this morning. I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, ungodly thoughts come from the heart. Matthew 9, 4. Go to Matthew 9, 4, please. I really have a larger study on the heart, and it is incredible. Uh, not incredible because I prepared it, but the heart is an incredible study in the scriptures. Matthew Chapter 9, verse 4. Remember, when the Bible talks about the heart, it is talking about the feelings, the emotions, the intellect, the desires, the thoughts, the interests, the conscience in the inner man. Matthew 9, verse 4, it says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, 
Wherefore, think ye evil in your what, folks? Why do you think evil in your heart? Jesus says, why? Jesus was addressing, obviously, the unrepentant hearts of the scribes, and we know all about that situation. But the point is not whether the person is really repentant or not repentant. That's not the point. The point is, when there is ungodly thinking going on, it is coming from none other place than what? The heart, your feelings, your emotions, your intellect. That's what Jesus is saying. That's where it's coming from. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. There is a number of verses in Jeremiah 9. If I'm grabbing a bunch of verses, I maybe would just read them off, but it's the same book. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, and you'll be able to keep up here for a few verses. This area of the heart. Jeremiah chapter 9 Verse 14 says, But have walked after the imagination of their own, what? Hearts. And after Balaam. Look at chapter 11, verse 8, folks. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil, what? Heart. Look at chapter 13, verse 10. Jeremiah has a lot to say. The Lord inspired Jeremiah to have a lot to say about the heart. Chapter 13, verse 10. This, this evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their what, folks? Heart. Right. Look at chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. And go ahead and say the word with me. The heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Look at chapter 18, verse 12, folks. And they said, there is no hope. Man, there is nothing worse, folks, laying down at bed at night and thinking, there is no hope. I always want to give people hope. I always want to broadcast hope. Whether, if, if a person is lost, you have the most incredible hope in the world to give them, the greatest redemptive mission ever, in Jesus Christ. And if they're a believer, there is a tremendous amount of hope. The skies could be coming down, but there is always hope. Always hope. The person that's ready to cut their wrists. The person that's ready to suck in fumes in the garage and leave life. The, the, the worst case scenario, there's always hope. Always in life. They said there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil, what? Heart. There's this evilness coming out of the hearts. Matthew 13, verse 15. Go ahead and turn there. I want to just keep your eyes focusing. There's a couple verses here in Matthew I want you to see. Matthew 13, verse 15.
Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Or flip there on your phone. I keep forgetting this is a phone generation. Matthew 13, verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their what, folks? Their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Turn over to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 8. This people, this people, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. They must be tremendous people, right? Good people. Kind of people you want to hang out with all the time. But their what? Their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. Look at verse 19. Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Folks, it could be that the ungodly thoughts and thinking are coming from the heart because the heart is in a constant state of ungodliness without a relationship with God, right? It really could be that, that problem, that reason. Did you know that there are over 765 references in the Word of God for heart? Do you see how important this word heart is? Our feelings, our emotions, our intellect, our consciousness, whether it's an unbeliever or a believer. You don't get away from, you don't, oh, I finally come to Christ. I don't have to deal with this problem anymore. No, you cannot get away from it. But you do have hope, help and hope. And I'm not underestimating the weapons of our warfare, the passage in Sunday school. I love, that's one of my favorite passages this morning. A tremendous arsenal of weapons once we come to Christ. But you still have to deal with your thinking process. You'll still think wrong at some point. You'll still think ungodly thoughts as an unbeliever or a believer. You're like, how in the world could I do this? How could that cross my mind? Why would ladies have to go to a ladies' conference? And here's some good teaching and preaching from a lady to ladies. Because it could happen to your heart, couldn't it? It could happen to any one of us at any time. Many of these references out of the 765 concerning the heart, many of them are addressing the heart and the thinking without God. But many of them are talking about the heart with a relationship with God. Acts 7, verse 51 says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. And he hears, You do always resist the work of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to say, Like your fathers way before you, they had stiff-necks and uncircumcised hearts. You've got the same situation going on. Just like your fathers in the past. So there is a lost, uncircumcised, unregenerate state of the heart. There is that. We know that. The heart. So the heart has to change and become new for godly thinking to even stand a remote possibility of thinking right. Okay? The heart has to change some, sometime or another to be able to be successful in thinking godly right thinking process. So there has to be a change there. 
Jeremiah 24, verse 7, thankfully says and this, and I will give them a heart. We've read, we've read enough crummy passages about the heart, an unregenerate heart, right? Here, Jeremiah 24 says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Praise the Lord. Yes. I'm in that camp tonight. I know the Lord. And most of you folks tonight are in that camp. He has given you a heart, a new heart, to know him. You're in that camp. Now you have the hope and the help and the process of thinking right daily. Will you always know? But do you have that capacity now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 says, And I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. And for the most part, most of us, that's us tonight. That old stony heart has been ripped out spiritually, metaphorically, and God has given us a new heart of flesh tonight, right? Right? And now you and I have this tremendous hope that we can go to bed tonight thinking godly thoughts. We can wake up in the morning. I'm not saying you, it's not a wrestling match. I'm not saying it's a tough time sometimes. And you almost have to force yourself to say, God is good. God is great. How often? All the time. Does he always seem like he's great and good? I almost feel like getting struck down, but doesn't always. But he is. Even when you don't feel like he is, he is always. Always. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And folks... That's the testimony of many of us tonight. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that we probably most of us know well. One of my favorite verses, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? It's a new creature. Is that you tonight? Are you a new creature? All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Even our thinking process has become new. Is it perfect? No way. After... You know, I still consider myself a baby Christian after like 28 years, something like that. I still feel like a baby Christian. And I probably am a baby Christian to compare to uh, a number of you. But my thinking process, I, I would think, I would think, you've got it made. You've been pastoring the last 20 years. You've been counseling, biblical counseling the last 20 years. You've went to school. You've trained. You've prepared. You should be going to bed. No problem at all. No, I know. I am so preaching to myself tonight, folks. I'm like, Lord, will I ever reach the point where I'm thinking right all the time? I realize it won't happen. But he does give me hope. And he, he's there every day to help me. And, and I'm going to end in just a little bit with some application. Because he loves you and I. And he does want to help us. 
So it could be that the ungodly thoughts and thinking are coming from the heart because the heart is in a constant state of ungodliness without a relationship from God. It could be that there is a superficial talk of God, but that the heart operation is automatically ungodly. The heart just does not have the ability to dwell on thoughts that are godly. It could be that the ungodly thoughts and thinking are coming from the heart because of ungodly sin patterns in the life of a believer. We haven't even talked about that really at all tonight, but it could be that you and I could have ungodly sin patterns, right? Right? Absolutely. Could be that you and I have ungodly sin patterns. And that will dictate what goes on in our life. Paul has been addressing these sin patterns in the Ephesian believers' lives that need to be put off, right? Part of the solution of putting off old sin patterns and putting on new godly patterns or in, is in the thinking process. It's just not like, I'm going to put this off here, I'm going to put this on here. It's in the thinking process. Most of the time, it's in the thinking process. He says, you have got to stop the sin and you've got to start a new way of thinking. You've got to think differently, he is saying. You have got to think biblically. You have got to renew your mind. But if you do not stop your pattern of sin, your heart is not going to be in the process of being renewed. How do we know that this is true? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where... Your treasure is, what folks? Here's my treasure, guess what else is right there? My heart is right there, right? Here's my treasure, my heart is right there. Guess what, I'll get real vulnerable with you tonight. Came in and the Cleveland Browns were down one touchdown and the game was in the process in the fourth quarter and my head is thinking, Ah, I want to see if they can pull this out, but I'm like, turn it off. It's time to preach. You're thinking, would you ever think that way? Yeah, I did. If the Buckeyes were playing, I would. But uh, they got their tails whooped, didn't they? Anyway, if your treasure is in the area of ungodly thinking, guess where your heart is going to be? Your heart is there. If your treasure is in the area of ungodly thinking, that is where your heart is. In Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie the Holy Ghost? And Peter is pretty much just saying in layman's terms, why, Ananias, did you let Satan fill your heart with ungodly thinking, which then led you to ungodly acting? You thought it in your head, and then you played it out in actions. That's what Peter's saying. Why'd you let it happen? Why'd you do it? Ananias let his thinking go in a direction of ungodly jealousy toward who? Barnabas. And his ungodly thinking led him to act in lying to who? The third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That thing, that pattern that you love so much that is sin will always bend your thoughts to ungodly thinking. It always will. You love that so much. It, mark it down. If it's ungodly and you love it, it's going to bend your thinking that way. You can't stop yourself. If you love ungodly, whatever it is, your mind is going to be thinking in that direction. That's the process and the pattern. 
Your vision, your mission, your purpose as a Christian, it, folks, it actually becomes blurred. Because that's where your heart is where your treasure is. And if your treasure is not godly, that's where your, your mission is going to be. It becomes a vicious cycle, folks. Your heart thoughts are ungodly, which leads you to live in an ungodly sin pattern, which then leads you to think that way. And it's just a vicious cycle. You can't get out of the cycle. I'm thinking wrong. I'm thinking ungodly. And that ungodliness leads me like an Ananias and Sapphira. It leads me to take action in an ungodly action because my thinking is wrong. And then that action, I do that action, and it just continues like a vicious cycle. And it becomes a pattern. Ungodly thoughts come from the heart. And let me say, I know I'm almost out of time. Let me give you another sub-point. Ungodly thoughts, they are known by God. And this will help us. They are known by God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20. Ungodly thoughts are known by God. It's important to know this. It's, it's refreshing to know this. It's kind of uh, like confronting to know it, but it's kind of comforting to know it. It's all of the above. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20 says, The Lord, what? Knoweth your thoughts. The Lord knows your thinking process. You know that? Anytime that we're thinking godly, he knows it. Anytime we're thinking ungodly, he knows it. It's not like we can be in our car or we can go someplace or be somewhere and it's not like the Lord doesn't know. He knows your thinking process. The Lord knows. And that's a good thing, right, folks? It's a good thing when it's ungodly because we need his help. And it's a good thing when it's godly because we, we need his encouragement. It's a good thing that he knows Romans chapter 2, verse 16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He knows our thinking. Only God fully and the individually. You actually, you partially know, but God fully knows what's in the heart. And that is why he could say in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance. Where does God look? Like a laser beam, right? He looks in the heart, folks. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46, the disciples let that old attitude of who is going to be the greatest creep into their heart. Remember that, folks? And you see their treasure. What was their treasure? Their treasure was unbiblical authority, right? I want to be the greatest. Why don't you be the least? Why don't you humble yourself and be the least and wash some feet? I want to be the greatest. So they're... Their treasure was unbiblical authority and status, and that is where their heart thinking went to. They started to think ungodly, and the result would have led to ungodly living if Jesus didn't intervene, right? And aren't you thankful that Jesus did intervene? He starts picking up the towels, and he gets the water, and he starts in motion, and he says, Listen, guys, enough of this wrong thinking. Enough of this unbiblical thinking. This is not what authority, this is not what leadership authority is all about. And so Jesus was there to intervene. And aren't you glad that sometimes you're thinking, Pastor Carl was talking so much about it today. Aren't you glad that God, your, un, your thinking will turn to an unbiblical thinking and Jesus intervenes? And he says, stop. You know that's not right because you know my word that I left to you. You know my love letter to you. 
He intervened in the disciples. He'll, he'll intervene in us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 47 says, And Jesus, here's this word, perceiving the thought of their heart. The word perceiving is the Greek word, I do. And it means to see, to know, to be sure, to understand. That's what the Lord knows about your heart. You see, Jesus could see right into their hearts and what they were thinking, folks. And God knows the ungodly thoughts that are going on in our thinking process. So we should stop trying to do this. Stop trying to fool others. Because I can fool you sometimes and you can fool me sometimes. Stop trying to fool others. Stop trying to fool ourselves. And especially, stop trying to fool God. And here's the hard pill to take. Deal with it. All right? Uh, maybe Sunday when it comes, I'll ask forgiveness and repent. And... No, deal with it. It's a struggle. Sometimes it's the hardest struggle in our lives, but stop fooling others, stop fooling yourself, and stop, definitely stop trying to fool God and deal with it. As believers, we are to properly discard those thoughts that are ungodly, and that's the big picture point I wanted you to see tonight. Next time, we'll not just focus on the negative of wrong thinking, but we'll think about the positive of right thinking. But let me end here with just a couple points of application tonight. For 20 years back home, every time I would close my Bible, you wouldn't think I would have got it, but every time I would close my Bible, everyone was like, he's done. I can almost tell when Pastor Carl's done. I can almost tell already. But uh, close your Bible and almost done. I am almost done. But <laughs> let me give you a couple points of application just, just to apply it this week and see if it... See if it works out. If it doesn't work out, don't even say anything to me. But if, any, if a single person, if it, it comes to your mind, let me know. Maybe it helped you. Maybe it'll help me. When you start thinking wrong, if it happens this week, I mean, somebody, lots of people have gotten cancer, lots of people have cancer now. What do we do? We Google. Sometimes that is our worst enemy. Whenever something happens to us, don't Google. Go ask Danny. That's a, he's a whole lot better of a source than Google. And Google thing will scare the death out of you if the cancer doesn't. Right? Listen. When you start thinking wrong, the first thing, just, just admit it. Just admit it and realize it. Just admit it and realize it. That's almost the hardest part of the whole process. Because it's humbling. Next, ask yourself, how do I stop thinking wrong? I am thinking wrong. Lord, I admit it. I realize it, Lord. Now, how do I stop this monster? How do I stop this? Let me ask you a question. Has anybody... When you thought wrong, have you ever thought wrong, like within an hour or two or three hours? Have you ever, th- within minutes, have you ever thought wrong tw- sec- twice and rethought it a third time and rethought it a fourth time and rethought it a fifth time? I've laid in bed and sometimes I'm trying to figure out something and I think it and think it and think it. Admit it, realize it, 
How do I stop thinking wrong? If you get to this point, you're not done, but count it a victory if you get to this point, folks. I mean, there's a lot of hope in your life. Count it a victory if you get to this point. Because so many just stay in that vicious cycle of wrong thinking. Realize the wrong thinking is coming. Here's, here's realizing it's coming from where? It's coming from your heart. Just realize it. Well, it's my husband because he did this to me. It's my children because they don't listen to me and obey me. It's my boss because no, no, no. Wrong thinking. The Bible shows us it's coming from your heart and my heart. So just admit it, realize it, get it, and start dealing with it. And realize, number one, it's coming from my heart. Nobody else made you think wrong. And lastly, this is really, really, really important tonight. Because I I haven't even got to the... This is all negative, wrong thinking. I haven't even got to the positive, the right thinking tonight. And I feel really crummy. It's almost a hermeneutical golden rule that you don't preach this without preaching this, giving them hope. And I feel like, oh man, I'm walking out of here giving them all the negative without any positive. But there is a lot of positive here because if you got to this point, it's almost victory in your life, folks. Matter of fact, it is victory if you get to this point because a lot of people never get to this point. Lastly, understand God knows your wrong thinking. He knows it. You you stop playing games. Just get moving. Get working on it because God knows your heart. Your heart is the one that's thinking wrong, ungodly. We're talking about believers right now. God knows you're thinking wrong. He knows it. You and God know it. And so he knows our wrong thinking, heart, and he actually knows it better than we do, folks. And this is the big, big, biggie. He loves you and I, and he wants to help us. That's huge. As you go home and go to bed this week, whatever matters are pressing on your heart, whatever decisions, whatever thinking process you have, God knows what you're thinking He knows it. He knows your heart better than you know it. And he loves you. He adores you. And he wants to help us. There is help there. If you get this, then you're going a great direction. Because it's not an easy direction to get and to consistently go after, but it will help us to live more consistent and stable lives, thinking godly and rightly. Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for these people. Um, I would confess that I know a number of these people, some I don't know. Um, I certainly don't know them intimately. You do, though. You know them extremely intimately. Most of these people in this room are believers being edified and encouraged and built up tonight. And you know them and you love them. And at the same point, you see their struggles. You see their struggles. We don't often see each other's struggles because a lot of times we put on our best faces when we come around each other. But you know their struggles, you know their failures, you know their difficulties. You know, Father, that we live in a sin-cursed world. 
Father, you've given us a new heart, heart of flesh. We are new creatures. And you've given us the ability, the capacity from our heart to think godly. Our thought process to go through a process of thinking godly and then a cycle of acting out godly actions and just a continuation of that. But you also know things will come into our life that will throw us. And there, all of us in here have sinned. We have thought wrong. Our process has been wrong and ungodly. And it's so comforting to know that you will intervene just like you intervened with Peter. Like you intervened with Paul. Like you intervened with these men and women of the Bible that we can read about. And that you love us and that you will intervene in our lives because you love us. I'm so grateful and thankful for that tonight as I struggle with my thought processes sometimes. I pray that this would be an encouragement and a help to these folks tonight. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of speaking to your people. I pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.